1: Today's sermon is pre-recorded. James, the fourth chapter, verse 4. He's speaking here to his congregation. Now, wait a minute. You understand, this is not some Laodicean church. He's now addressing the first body of Christ. He's speaking to the church in Jerusalem. Jerusalem. He's speaking to the church that has had the ministry of all of the apostles and the prophets. And his word to them is this. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred toward God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think scripture says without reason that the spirit he caused to live in us envies intensely. What does he mean, you adulterous people? Obviously, these people are not sexually immoral. Obviously, these people are followers of Jesus Christ. They're not committing gross sins of adultery. If they were committing gross sins of adultery, they would be disciplined and thrown out of the church. So what is he speaking about when he says, you adulterous people. Well, it's clear. All through the Old Testament, God refers to his people as adulterous people when they leave their love marriage with the Lord God of heaven and they go seek after other gods. And always it was the Baal God. I've always wondered what is it about bail? Yes. Well, all I have to do to answer that question is say, what is it about money? <laughs> Why do we think that if we have money, we have security? Yes. What is it that causes us to think that we can use money to get ahead with? Yes. That's what he's saying. You adulterous people you're beginning to play games with the world i would suspect that at some point in the church at jerusalem that people stopped bringing things and laying at the feet of the apostles i would guess that at some point they said hey look can't we just pay tithe you know everybody's kind of settled into this deal now we know what the deal is you know l- The poor are poor because they made bad decisions. So why should I give my stuff to help the poor? And slowly a spirit began to come into the church of us against them. We find that in Corinthians. Where Paul says, look, you bring your your food together to have your love feast. And you bring all the food you want. And you don't share it with anybody. And so one family is feasting on delicacies and another family has nothing. They're going hungry. And Paul says, look, don't take communion if you don't rightly regard the body of Christ. If you do, you do so to your own damnation. Well, he's not saying you're committing private sin in your life. And when you come to the church, you need to confess that and make that right. He's not saying that. He's saying you're going to bring damnation on yourself because you're not rightly considering the body.
0: Hallelujah.
1: So it's about how we're relating with each other in the body that causes Paul concern. And here it's causing Pastor James concern. He's seeing that friendship with the world is a growing problem in this new church that has been founded in Jerusalem. He's seeing that compromise is coming in. Now, I wish I would not have to read this to you, but I have to be very honest with you. Every one of us in this room struggles. Every one of us in this room struggles Because we have all chosen to be a friend of the world. Let's be honest. We have chosen to be friends with the world. And even now, if I began to ask you about how you've handled your finances, you would probably have to share with me things that you have done on your own, sinning against the Lord, making friendship with the world because you thought it was the smart thing to do. And then the world wants to come and put a lash on you and beat you up, just like Pharaoh did the children of Israel. Now the world always gets that kind of attachment to us. So anytime we come and begin to make friends with the world, they say, "Okay, I'll be friends with you, but I have to have these concessions from you. So at work, Hey, you can be liked, you can be loved at work. But you've got to go down to the lunchroom and you've got to share in the dirty jokes. Hey, we're going to like you here, but you're going to have to kind of measure up to our cultural expectation of what a normal person looks like and acts like. And if you don't look like and act like that normal person, you will begin to find that you're being ostracized in the workplace. As one dear woman who told a subordinate who was a lesbian, told her, please don't get into another relationship. It's a sin. Jesus loves you. He wants to save your soul. And she was promptly fired for sexual harassment. Well, praise God, Christians get fired. Isn't it time that there was some clear understanding of what it means to be a Christian and bear a Christian witness in the workplace, regardless of the cost that is to us personally? I mean, when Hitler began to move in and take over the whole political machine in Germany, many Christians said, Look, we've got to go along with this man. We're going to lose everything if we don't go along with this man. So first it was the Jews. Had Hitler been successful in exterminating the Jews, he would have gone for the Christians next. That's historical fact. It's documented. The world is never willing to allow friendship to exist between its heart and your heart without concessions on your part. And when you make those concessions, It has a claim on you. Claims your time. Claims your money. It claims your loyalty. It claims your silence. That's why James, Pastor James says, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think the scripture says without reason that the spirit caused he caused to live in us envies intensely? I want you to understand that. When you confess the name of Jesus Christ there was a, I like to describe it as a radioactive element that was placed in your soul. And slowly that power is just penetrating every atom in your being. The Holy Spirit is taking over Well, this Holy Spirit envies intensely for total, absolute control over your life to perfect you and cause you to look like Jesus, cause you to walk like Jesus, cause you to act like Jesus. And when you resist that Holy Spirit and you side with the world against Jesus, the Holy Spirit is intensely jealous And calls after your soul. Now we need to understand this as a base. As we look at the war that goes on between your soul and Satan. And how to defeat him in that battle. If we don't have our eyes open and know that the battle is going to center around our making agreements with the world that will chain us to its values and to its objectives then we have missed the battle and we won't understand the intensity of it as it comes against us. The Lord has called me to be a sojourner. The world calls me to be a homesteader. The Lord Jesus calls me to be on pilgrimage. The world says settle in and settle down. This is as good as it gets. And so as Jesus calls us on this journey toward heaven, the world will offer every enticement to get us entangled in its systems, telling us that we will not survive if we do not obey its commands. And finally, the Antichrist will come and he will say, you can't buy or sell if you don't have my mark. Then how are you going to survive? What if tonight as you left, you had to hand in your credit cards, you had to hand in your cash. And you were told either you take the mark in your hand or you can no longer shop. You can no longer buy any supplies for your family. Then how would you survive? Would you starve to death? Or would the Lord God of heaven come and feed you like he did Elijah? Elijah sending the ravens to steal from the world's table. I've always wondered if those ravens didn't fly into Ahab's kitchen. (laughs) Understand, the Lord God of heaven wants us to make a choice about who we're going to trust. Are we going to trust the whole world system or are we going to trust the Lord Jesus Christ? And so as we come to this war between our soul and the world or our soul and the devil, know at the very beginning that God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Now I want you to just walk with me a little bit and we'll get to the point. If your heart is arrogant, if your heart is haughty, if your heart has a superiority if your heart has a a judgment in it a critical spirit of judgment if your heart has a a way of standing up and viewing people and saying they're stupid if if i were in charge this is what i'd do if i could have the say I know I could run this deal better than that person can run it. If you have that attitude toward your boss or your husband, if you have that attitude toward your family, then know that God is against you. God, by design, is choosing to oppose you. But if, on the other hand, you are humble of heart... If you are small in your own eyes, if you are insignificant in your own eyes, God will honor you. He'll pour His grace out on you. As you come to that place of work, as you come to the family, as you come to friends, do you walk with a haughtiness of spirit that says, I'm the one you need to look out for? If you go with me, I bless you. If you go against me, I'm your worst enemy. If you carry that kind of spirit in your heart, know that God is against you. Now, what I want you to hear tonight is that you can place by choice and action, you can place your life in a position that regardless of your confession with your mouth, you place yourself in a position where God will oppose you. And when God opposes you, to survive, you will have to go to the world. Because you have no life, you have no spirit power in the Lord Jesus Christ. You pray and he doesn't answer you. You cry aloud for provision and he doesn't give it to you. So you go to the bank to get it. Because you would rather keep your arrogant spirit, go to the bank and let them fawn over you and put you in jail. Rather than lose your arrogant heart and depend upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Now we begin with what the Lord wants to say to our hearts about fighting the devil. Step number one. Verse 7. Submit yourselves then to God. Now I have to tell you, there are just some words in the English language I don't like. I don't like the word coward. I don't like the word weak. I don't like the word poor. I don't like any word that causes me to be unable to take care of my own business. I just don't like the words. I don't like the way they sound in my mouth. I don't like the way they feel in my heart. There are certain words, on the other hand, in the English language that I like a lot. I like very much the words success and can do and no fear. I like very much the words Go for it. You can do it. Just hang in there. A can-do attitude. I like those kind of words. Now, one of the words that I don't like much at all is the word submit. I mean, it just rolls off my tongue with a sound I don't like. There's not much I want to submit to. In fact, I can't think of anything I want to submit to. Rather, I want everything to submit to me. I see some of you are in agreement. This word submission is so very, very painful because at the very beginning, Adam and Eve, as they were walking in their home in the garden, met a serpent. And this serpent with crafty intent told them that God didn't mean what he said and that if they would just eat of this fruit, they would become gods knowing good and evil. Their heart rose up and they said "We, we would be God. We would know the difference between good and evil. We would like to be the judges over what is right and wrong. They refused to submit That was the key temptation. In fact, it was the only test God asked for Adam and Eve to walk in. And that was the test of submission or rebellion. And they said, we choose rebellion. Now I want to tell you something on Eve's behalf. Eve did not wake up that beautiful morning in paradise and look at her handsome hunk of a husband and say, you know, this day I think what I'd like to do with my time is destroy my home. I mean, she did not wake up that morning and say, you know, I think I'm going to become a symbol of rebellion. She didn't wake up that morning and say, you know what I really want to have happen? I want to have my children kill each other. She didn't do that. All she did was go out and say, you know what, I'd like to be smarter. I'd like to be able to have my own choices. I'd like to be the one who gets to decide what I'm going to do. I want to be the one who decides. Is that wrong? I mean, it's like the woman that I just heard about said to her husband, you know, I'm just not happy living with you anymore. And I see my life going by. And I've kind of made a decision. From now on, I'm not going to live for you and I'm not going to live for the kids. I'm going to live for myself. And I'm going to have a life before I'm an old woman. She packed up and moved out. I told the teenage kids, if you want a life like mine, come on with me. Your dad's a stuck in the mud. He's never going to be anything. He's going to always be down and out. He's not a winner. Come with me. We'll be winners. They went with Mama. Went to the church pastor and the pastor said, it's not my business. It's personal. See, this issue is so painful because you can't even begin the spiritual journey until you begin dealing with this issue of Of what you're going to submit to and who you're going to submit to. You can't even begin to talk about how you're going to fight the devil until you've decided whether you're going to submit to him or not. If you're going to submit to the devil and to the world and to the flesh, there's no fight. He will allow you to think that you're in charge, he will bless you financially, he will make certain that you're a happy camper until you're so far from the Lord God of heaven that there's no possibility of your ever returning. And then he'll kill you. He's a liar and a thief. He's an accuser. But he tricks us. Keep your finger right there in James and go over here to 2 Corinthians, the 11th chapter. 2 Corinthians, the 11th chapter, I'll begin reading in verse 2. I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. I promise you to one husband, to Christ, so that I might present you as a pure virgin to him. But I am afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes to you and preaches a Jesus other than the Jesus we preached, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it easily enough. So he's saying there are many gospels being proclaimed, There are many Jesuses being proclaimed. You can go and pick and choose which Jesus you want. There's only one Jesus that will tell you if you're going to come to me, you have to submit. That's the Jesus of Scripture. All the other Jesuses will say, you can have it your way. I love you unconditionally. They will say to you, I love you. I've got you covered. Now go for it and have a wonderful life. And then you go for it. Have a wonderful life. And he kills you. He tears your family apart. Steals your kids from you. This Jesus demands first that we submit ourselves to God. Now, I have to tell you, I see across the board parents submitting their children to soccer, submitting their children to drama, submitting their children to education, submitting their children to all kinds of cultural experiences. And you know what? There's nothing wrong with soccer. It's a wonderful game. It's a great exercise for kids. The problem is it becomes the very center of their lives. There's not a problem with with going out to a place where the children are going to enjoy some kind of innocent entertainment. The problem is when that becomes the very center of their lives. And they live for that and we then submit our kids to this. And we're training them to be pagans. We're, tra- we're, we're, we're training them to submit to the world. Rather than to submit to Jesus Christ. So this issue of submission has to be looked at. Has to be looked squarely in the face. And there has to be a solid, concrete decision. Are you willing to submit your heart and your family's heart to Jesus Christ, regardless of what that may cost you? Are you willing to submit to Jesus your time, your money, your energy? Are you willing to submit all that you are and all that you possess to Jesus Christ? And are you willing to claim back from the world every agreement you've made with that? Every covenant you have made with them, are you willing to claim those back from the world and give those into the hand of Jesus Christ? Now, as soon as I begin to speak about that, always in my heart would rise up this part that would say, oh, yes, I will do that. And another part that would rise up and say, My fingers are crossed behind my back. There's a reserve I hold. And the reserve I hold is, I will do it, Jesus, only so long as it benefits me and my family. If it begins to cost, then I have the right to reevaluate. And the Lord has brought Pastor Jan and myself to a place where we no longer cross our fingers, where we just say, "Okay, Jesus, whatever the cost, whatever the angry, bitter words that come our direction, whatever the consequences, we submit to you. I pray tonight you've also come to that place in your life. Now, once you've come to that place, then the Lord says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. If you're trying to resist the devil and you have not submitted to Jesus Christ, your resistance will be walked over. It's like pouring water through a sieve. The devil will not be held out of your business. He will not be held out of your life. He will have authority and power in all that you do and say until you make that commitment of submission to Jesus Christ. Once that commitment is made, you then have authority to resist the devil. But now here's where historically we've gotten in a lot of trouble. People going around, binding Satan in this and binding Satan in that.
0: <laughs>
1: bind him here, bind him there. Everywhere Bind Satan. And Satan is not bound. How do you resist the devil? The scripture right here gives us the answer for how you resist the devil. Let's read it. This is... James, the fourth chapter, the seventh verse. Submit yourselves then to God. Number one. Number two, as you resist the devil, he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. In other words, I resist the devil by coming near to God. As I come near to God, God will come near to me. I'm not going out with a sword in my hand to take the devil on. That's not my job. People talk about spiritual warfare. And people get killed in spiritual warfare. Because they go out to fight against the power of darkness and they've never submitted their life to Jesus Christ. And they aren't getting closer to God. They're not coming closer to God. They're using these principles that they've learned in some seminar on how to go and do spiritual warfare. And they mix in things they have no understanding of and they get wiped out and they wonder what happened. I know of a, of a number of those who have actually died. It's dangerous. Yes, it is. Now understand, it's not my job to fight the devil. It's my job to come close to God. And as I come close to the Lord God of heaven, the scriptures say, He will come near me. Now I don't like that. I want God to come near me and then I'll come near Him. <laughs> But that's not what the scriptures teach. The scriptures teach if I come near God, God will then respond and come near me. I can't play victim and win this one. I'm going to have to take concrete action to get close to God. Now how do I get close to God? After I've made the covenant commitment to submit to His authority and His power, then I have to take those concrete actions to step closer to God. And every time I take a step toward God, I take a step away from the world. They don't run parallel. I can't have one foot in the world and one foot with God and walk this way. And that's what I see a lot of Christians trying to do. Everywhere they go, they're walking like this. (laughs) Does it sound familiar? Have you been practicing the duck walk? (laughs) You can't walk that way because, oh, you should have seen it. I had my Flying Scot sailboat some years ago down at the marina. At the Washington Marina. I had just put it in the water and another pastor drove in. He knew I was going to be there and he came to go sailing with me. He was not an experienced sailor. I had just lowered the boat down into the water and I said, Mitch, would you mind getting in the boat and holding on to the dock while I get the sail up? Great, I'll do that. So I went to the car to get the sail off the roof. And Mitch stood with one foot on the dock and one foot on the boat. And slowly they parted ways. And he fell in with a great splash. Well, I've seen so many do just that. You can't follow the way of God and the way of the world. If you do, you're going to fall. Now please try to hear what I'm saying. You have to take concrete steps to get close to God. God's not going to come close to you until you decide to get close to Him. How do you get close to God? First, by submitting to Him. Not submitting to the way of the world, but submitting to Him. It means getting in your prayer closet and beginning to open your heart and tell Jesus everything about what's going on in your heart. You want revival in Washington? You're going to have to give Him your time. You're going to have to leave some things undone. Have you ever noticed how duties just seem to multiply? Especially when you've made a decision to seek after God? They just seem to multiply like rabbits. And the phone rings. Oh, the phone rings. Do you know what I tell you? Turn your telephones off, they can leave a message. I used to have this foolish belief that I had to answer every time the phone rang. And I remember the first time Jan and I were together in my home and we were eating together. We were not married. We were sitting at the table and we were eating together with my daughters. And the phone rang. And of course I got up and answered it. I came back to the table. The phone rang. Heidi got up and answered it. So we had the entire meal with somebody gone from the table the whole time. And Jan very quietly said to me after the meal, Ray, would it be possible for us to make an agreement? Sure, anything you want. (laughs) We turned the phone off during dinner from now on. What? I don't see how I could turn the phone off. I'm a pastor. How is it possible for me to turn the phone off? Somebody might need me. And she very kindly said, if I'm going to eat with you, you're going to have to turn the telephone off. And the telephone's been off for a number of years. (laughs) Now, you understand, she wanted me to come near to her, not near to the telephone. If you want to get close to God, you're going to have to make some decisions about how you're going to come into his presence and begin to pray and begin to search after his heart. You're going to be near whatever you give yourself to. Now revival is not going to come in Washington, D.C. without honest and sincere prayer. In every revival that I have been able to look at, and I've looked at some 50 to 60 revivals quite carefully, studying the histories, there is one common denominator in every one of those revivals. And that is earnest, heartfelt prayer after forsaking all sin after turning away, submitting and turning away from iniquity in their heart, they earnestly sought after God several hours a day. If you want revival in Washington, it will only come in response to your submitting to God and to your earnestly, earnestly searching after God, seeking after God. Now the devil is going to fight you with everything he has. That's why the scripture says, resist the devil, come near to God. The devil's going to say, you don't dare get near God. If you get near God, you're going to go crazy. You're going to be a radical. You're not going to have any fun. Everything's going to be boring. Your friends are going to hate you. They'll think you're crazy. You know, I even found myself today... Saying to the Lord, 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 I'm tired. Where could I go where I could just rest for a while? And the Lord said back to me, Why don't you rest in me, Ray? What? That's a new idea, isn't it? Where do you go when you rest? Where do you go when you rest? What do you give yourself to when you rest? When you do anything your heart desires, when you've got free time, you've got access, there's no difficulty, you can do exactly what you want to do. What do you do? Is it Jesus? Is it Jesus? Is your heart to come near God? Or have you refused to submit to him? I'm asking the Lord to do a work in my heart. I'm asking him to take from me even the need to make a conscious choice to come close to God. I'm asking him to turn my heart toward heaven as a flower naturally turns toward the sun I am tired of having to make a conscious decision to get near God. I don't want to have to even waste any time or energy. When I breathe, I don't even think about breathing. I just breathe. I want my relationship with God to be like that. So that as natural as breathing, I find my place of rest in Jesus. I find I want to be close to him. So Pastor James is saying, if you want the devil to flee from you, come near to God and he will come near to you. And now he says, wash your hands, you sinners. Well, why would he say that? Well, he's saying that because as soon as you begin to come near to God, you'll see how dirty your hands are. Oh,
0: Jesus!
1: And tonight if you can't see how dirty your hands are, it's because you're walking in the dark and have no light. Have you ever known your hands were filthy dirty, but it was dark so you couldn't see it? You know you're dirty, but you can't see it so nobody else can see it either. You begin to come into the light. You begin to submit to God you begin to make a conscious choice I'm going to get close to God the first thing that's going to happen is you're going to look at your hands and say my hands are dirty I've had a proudful prideful spirit I've had a haughty heart I've been independent I've been a can-do person I've been angry and bitter I've always wanted my own way I've refused to submit. Some of you've had a very difficult time submitting to a pastor. I understand that. I've had the same struggle. I think Pastor David Wilkerson is the first pastor that I've had absolute comfort in just submitting to his authority. That's been a wonderful gift for me. Through the years, I've tried to find a godly man who would mentor me and I would begin to get close only to discover that they were false. That they were in it for the business and the money. Pastor David is the first pastor that I've been able to come under his authority and submit to him and have it be truthful. I praise God for this experience of submission And as you come into this place, are you able to submit? Are you able to to hear the word of God and not respond in bitterness and anger or rebellion Or or arrogance, but instead go out and seek the face of Jesus? He says, Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. In other words, he's saying, look, the closer you come to God, the more double-mindedness will be revealed in your heart. You're going to see increasingly how you want it your way. You don't want it God's way. You want it your way. And oh, I tell you, we can make it look awful good and have it our way. We can say the right words. We can sing the right songs. We can have the right friends. I mean, we can dress the evil flesh nature up in such beautiful Christian clothing. But the closer we come to God, the more exposing, the more exposure, the more light is going to be shed on that wicked, sinful self-nature that has to be pulled up by the root, has to be cut off. So we submit once more to the Lord God of heaven. We come near to him. We wash our hands. How do you wash your hands? Confession of sin. Asking the blood of Jesus to wash you coming into the prayer closet and saying, Lord, I've got an attitude. I've got my own vision. I've got my own goals. I've got my own dreams. And you're just not fitting in with me, God. But I want your blessing anyway to let me go ahead and do my deal. Remember, that's what Jacob did. And the only thing God could do with Jacob was bless him, stay at a distance... Until finally he got him out in the desert. And then he came himself on foot and he grabbed a hold of this man. And they fought all night. I mean, it was a bloody fight. And finally, the Lord God of heaven crippled him. And suddenly Jacob realized he was fighting with God. He thought he'd been fighting with his brother Esau. You fighting with something tonight? Maybe you're not fighting with what you think you're fighting with. Maybe you're fighting with Jesus. And he's not going to let you go until he cripples you. Because you're not going to walk out of this in your power and your strength and your authority. You're going to have to walk in the power, the spirit of the living God. You're not going to have your way. He's going to have his way. He has started a work in your heart to create you in his own image. He loves you with an everlasting love. He loves you with compassion and with mercy. He knows you. And he still loves you. And he's saying to you, wash your hands. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. That is the natural response of a person who wishes to submit to God when they get a clear view of their sinful heart. If you've never been lost, how can you be saved? And I would guess that some of you in this room tonight have never understood your lostness. You've always thought you were saved. You were born into a Christian family. You've always known the information. How can you be saved if you were never lost? as we submit to God, as we then begin to come close to Him, we begin to see the dirt on our hands. We begin to get a revelation of God concerning the dirt in our life. We begin to see our double-mindedness. We begin to see how we play games with God. We begin to see how we've been lying and dishonest about our heart. And as we see that, the natural response is to grieve to mourn and to wail. He says, change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. Now I have to close this message tonight with this joyous understanding that after the grieving and the mourning I tell you this to encourage you because some of you have never done any grieving over your sin. You've never mourned before God. You've never spent a night weeping over your your heart wickedness. But if you continue to follow after Jesus, you're going to do that. You'll feel like you're crying all the time inside. And I tell you, there have been days when I've said this to Jan, Sweetheart, I don't know how I'm going to walk today because I'm weeping. Inside, I'm just broken. I don't know how I can go to the radio and say anything because if I do, I'm just going to cry. It's that weeping inside and in the prayer closet, it's finally released and you just know, you know how you've grieved the heart of God and you know how bitterly you've sinned against him. But after you've been through that, out of nothing of your own, the Lord begins to lift you up. He begins to lift you up out of that muck and mire. This is why it's so important that you understand that in Christ Jesus there is no condemnation. Condemnation always comes from the devil as you see your wicked condition before God, self-condemnation from the devil wants to come in and say, it's hopeless for me. God doesn't love me anymore. I am separated from God. I might as well just go live in the world. I've been rejected. I used to say to Jan, sweetheart, I feel like God has just totally rejected me. I feel like there's no hope. How do I go on when God has left me? And with great kindness, she would always say back to me, Ray, the very fact that you feel that way says, God has not left you. But he wants you to quit condemning yourself and repent. That's God's truth to our heart. Let's not waste time in self-condemnation. That's the devil's cunning to prevent us from doing the work necessary to get our hearts cleaned up and get in line with the spirit of the living God. Don't give one moment to self-condemnation. Get up out of that stuff. And the Holy Spirit, by the blood of Jesus, will begin to lift you up in His arms. And you will then have a confession. And that confession is, I couldn't save myself, but Jesus did. I couldn't rescue myself, but Jesus did. I couldn't pay the bill, but Jesus paid it. Everything is of Jesus. Look at what He's done in my life. And I ask you honestly tonight, can you say that about your life? Thank you so much for joining us. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress, brought to you by the National Prayer Chapel. God bless
0: you. We love you.